0: Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts. So this week, in honor of Sagittarius season, I'm sharing the story of the centaurs. Ooh. And making some immature commentary about horse peen.
1: I mean... Yeah, it wouldn't be wands and fronds if there weren't some horse dick jokes when we talked
0: about centaurs. Uh no, and I mean, <laughs> you know, I well, well, I'll I'll dive into it when I dive into it.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm gonna be talking about Centauri, which is the centaurs herb and a deity that really does have like some strong Sag energy of his own, Thor. Uh, I also wanna say, like, shout out to my little sister, who is a Sagittarius. Uh, and my Sagittarius midheaven. this is like my destiny season.
0: Yes. so, you know, and, good and, stuff. and mini shout out to my Sagittarius Moon. Just a little little yeah. shout out. <laughs> no big
1: shout out. Big shout out. Your moon sign is very important. Um, I just I love I love Sagittarius energy. It's a lot. Um, I mean, my sister's a lot. She's a Sagittarius Sun with a Leo moon. So m- Morgan. Oh, Morgan, we're going to like take that as the worst segue in the world into Centauri because I we really want to keep this episode not an hour and a half long. So (laughs) this one was really fun for me, though, because I've actually never used this plant or grown it. And so I I actually really enjoy when I get to like learn alongside you guys. And this was one I just had like no context for. So it was like really a fun little
0: treasure. I I had never heard of it. As an no, as a yeah. as an American from Texas, yeah, I've never yeah. even seen this at an herbalist's shop, and I, that is yeah, that is a place that I have been.
1: Yeah, so I've, I've seen it at herbalism like shops before, but it's really like I, I think it's just not as common in North America. But we do have to like give it up to the mythical creature, the centaur, which mm-hmm. is where. It gets its name from because the reason that they named it after centaurs is because um, Chiron allegedly used this herb to help like cure a poison arrow wound. And so we definitely have covered Chiron in a previous episode. So feel free to check that out if you want to learn more about him, because we briefly touched on centaurs, but really we focused on Chiron and then talking about Chiron and your astrological chart. Um, if you want to get red for filth and kind of curl up in a ball and cry. We're going to talk a little placement?
0: bit more about Chiron today.
1: Oof, yeah. So uh, the Romans called Centauri bile of the earth because it's so bitter, which is lovely.
0: I've been uh, taste and- testing beets all day, so.
1: Oh God, so you're all about that earthy earthy goodness. Not earthy bile, though. It just oh, That's oh. the bile
0: of the earth, truly.
1: <laughs> On that note, though, um, the English botanist and herbalist Culpepper, who's like, kind of a big deal in the herbalism circle, describes Centauri as very wholesome, but not very toothsome. So I was like, I love that because again, it's like bitter. You're getting a, a theme here, right? Uh, also, it's often used as a flavoring in vermouth. So, you know.
0: Another, another cocktail herb. I know. What is it about winter that... We can't We can't even avoid talking about cocktails. I know.
1: It's like, I don't even drink and this keeps happening. And I'm the one picking the herbs. Like Nick is very rarely the one making like herb decisions. So it's like, we're not intentionally picking boozy herbs over and over again. Like when we're doing our planning meetings, we just pick the things that go along with the theme based on like their properties and magical uses. But it just happens that like, yeah, something cocktail-y is happening. Yeah, no, right well-
0: now you gotta keep you gotta keep going because i know i, I know <laughs> i'm gonna tie back into your segment so many times so
1: much <laughs> um okay so let's get into it for real centarium uh erythrae is a species of flowering plants in the uh genshin family so obviously it's known as centauri but you will also sometimes see it called common centauri or european centauri i've also seen it just called genshin, which is not very specific or helpful. And that's G-E-N-T-I-A-N for anyone listening. You could also see it referred to sometimes as fever wart because it has historically been used to treat fevers. But I I don't think we've actually talked about anything in the Genshin family. So I wanted to like kind of give you a few key patterns to look for when you're thinking about like trying to identify things here. So the flowers in this family are mostly like tubular flowers, with stamens attached to the petals and like four to five sepals. They tend to have opposite leaves. And the as the ovary matures, it has like a capsule that has a bunch of small seeds in it. So, you know, that's sort of the general look of them. And most of the flowers in this family actually have like really potent bitter properties. You know, they're wholesome, but not toothsome, which is great <laughs> for digestion. But what does Centauri look like? You might be wondering. I was wondering, I didn't know what it looked like when it wasn't like dried in an herb container on a shelf. So, this is a plant that can get up to about like a foot and a half tall or half a meter for people that are on a like measurement
0: system that makes. Hey, sense. I think, you know, I think we do have some people in Wales.
1: We do. And I think, isn't Australia on the metric system as well? Let like- us know. I'm pretty, pretty sure, unless y'all made up something else, because Australia do that sometimes.
0: I would I would not be surprised. I
1: love. I love that about Australia. But yeah, so this plant will get up to about a foot and a half tall. It starts from like a small little basil rosette, and then a stem shoots out of that. And there are triangular opposite leaves, Um, which, reminder, opposite leaves just mean like two leaves on either side of the stem opposite each other and the flowers will emerge from the stem and grow parallel to it. So sometimes you have problems with like the inflorescences getting tangled in the foliage, but the flowers are this really cute, like pinkish lavender and they're actually only about a centimeter across. So they're really small flowers and they're like flat faced with very cute little like yellow anthers. And when I'm talking about anthers, they're like the things that hold the pollen. And so when you think about like, a pink flower with yellow anthers in the center i'm like it looks like the thing that little kids draw as flowers like you just put the little yellow circle in the middle with the petals around it it's flat it's very cute um, is, is the thing that sticks
0: out of the center of a hibiscus an anther
1: yes yeah
0: it's, it's part of that's like, it's got a big dick
1: big old dick. So uh, most flowers in the Genshin family are also hermaphroditic. So they can like reproduce on their own. Um, And this little guy, he flowers from June to September, typically with climate change. Who the fuck knows what that's going to look like? It's widespread across Europe, but you can also find it in Western Asia and Northern Africa naturally. But nowadays it has since naturalized in North America and throughout Eastern Australia, but it's not native. Like it was a species that was introduced to the areas. Um, And it's a really hardy like mountain wildflower. So you can actually grow it in USDA zones one through nine which is most of them. They really said
0: you could do most of them.
1: Most of them, except for like me. I'm not included in that because... What is your
0: zone called?
1: I I think I'm zone 11.
0: Oh, that's way too high.
1: I know. You're too high, BB. Way too high. <laughs> this was not for me. Again, though, because this isn't a native plant, like you really do want to be careful if you're planting it in your garden, because sometimes non-natives can become invasive and aggressive and choke out things that are important for the climate. And you want your good bugs to still have their goodies and your birds be able to eat, yada, yada, yada. You know better. So- If you want to grow it and you live in zones one through nine in the U S or Eastern Australia or any of the other places it grows naturally,
0: Australia,
1: Australia. I'm obsessed. I really want to visit Australia. So you can plant the seeds after the frost danger has passed in like early spring, or if you're in the warmer climates, um, you can plant them in the fall as well. So they'll come up really early in the spring. You sow these just by like sprinkling them on the surface of the soil they like partial shades so no baking sun, which is why you can't do it in certain zones or whatever. Uh, they like lights, uh, slightly sandy, well-draining soil. If you're thinking about where to plant it, just think about the fact that this shit grows on like mountainsides, right? Like there's really rapid drainage. Don't let them get boggy. Um, I think too, I tend to be of the opinion that for things that are wildflowers, like sure you could plant it in a pot, but like nature's really good at growing these things, I would just plant them straight into the ground. Like I do find that when I direct sow things like morning glories, I also have wildflower mix. It's just more successful. And it's kind of a waste of your time to be extra precious with things that are actually wildflowers. Like bluebonnets will grow
0: out of a crack in the sidewalk.
1: Exactly. You've got other shit to do other than babysitting wildflower seeds. Like I believe in you. So let's talk about the medicinal benefits. Uh, as a reminder, I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This I'm is not. not medical advice. It's not intended to treat mm-hmm. or diagnose. This is a podcast. No. This is for entertainment purposes it's only. It's for
0: fun, you guys. Do your
1: own research. If you're pregnant, I hear you can't do anything. So, you know, do extra research if you're in the family way um so are you laughing at me saying in the family way okay oh
0: my god no i i watch a lot of vintage television so don't mind me
1: (laughs) so um historically it's been used as a medicine to kill worms treat dropsy to treat snake bites and topically to help fade freckles which seems rude
0: dropsy (laughs) of the heart or dropsy of the liver as yes. famously asked in Downton Abbey.
1: Yes and yes. Mostly Both? the liver.
0: Mostly oh, the liver. it's good for the liver. See, yeah, these are the questions. Really for the liver. Y'all are lucky um, I'm here.
1: I know. If Nick and his Downton Abbey like encyclopedia wasn't here. Nothing would ever be accomplished. So in modern times, you most commonly see it used in like teas, tonics, and digestive bitters to really like capitalize on that bitter quality. So when you take bitters, as a reminder, the way that it works to help stimulate digestion, think about what your reaction is in the mouth when you have something bitter, right? Like it stimulates all of that saliva production. So it immediately starts jump-starting the digestive process. So if you want to use it like to help with your digestion, you're going to want to take it in a tea like about 30 minutes before you eat. And this one in particular, like bitters across the board are said to like help with the uptake of nutrients when you're eating your food because it does jumpstart the digestive process immediately. But is, that, to- is that
0: why is that why you take a digestive Yeah. after dinner?
1: Yeah, it, that can also help with like reflux and things like that. The bitters are really good for... um. I forget, there's a horrible name for it, but it's like your esophageal sphincter bitters can actually help strengthen that, which when Mm -hmm. you have a weak esophageal sphincter, that's one of the things that can cause acid reflux and indigestion. So Centauri though, in particular, as far as like nutrient uptake and how it helps, it's supposed to be specifically good at helping your absorption of calcium, iron, and B12, which I didn't know. And I think I'm going to try and pick some up because um, I have... I have like one of those weird things where I'm missing the enzyme that helps my body take B12 out of food and convert it for use in my brain and stuff. So I have to take B12 supplements. So I'm going to try some Centauri and see if that helps. Um, But yeah, so again, it's really, really good for acid reflux, balancing your stomach acids. The German Commission E actually recommends it for people with poor appetite, especially if they're recovering from like a long illness. That's a real, it's really great. Um, all over the place, you see it listed as like a treatment for quote unquote anorexia. By that, they don't mean the mental illness anorexia. They tend to mean just like inability to eat. So if you need a little bit of help getting your appetite back. Centauri. So,
0: you know, like maybe for people who uh, have had to take opiates for a recent um, injury Yes, yeah. I know that I know that happened with Oliver is that when he went on the opiates, I ended up taking him off the opiates, actually yeah. because they were fucking up his appetite so much. And I was like, yeah. you gotta, you gotta eat to fight.
1: Yeah. Centauri is a lot less fun than cannabis, but it does do that. So to make a tea of Centauri, you're just going to take like one to two teaspoons per cup of like boiling water, steep it covered for three to 10 minutes. This is when you're probably going to want to add like a little bit of honey too. Cause like it's bitter, it's bitter, bitter, bitter. Um, In addition to its digestive uses, though, Centauri said to help strengthen the kidneys and help with bladder control in the elderly. Um, It is good for like your liver. It also helps um, stimulate perspiration, which is how it can help like cool your body and bring a fever down. So that's, that's where it gets the like, the um fever wart name it's also really astringent so some people use it topically as a toner and it can also be used naturally as like a dandruff treatment so it's got some Wait, really what
0: as a yeah. dandruff treatment yeah i want to hear about this i want to hear tell me more
1: <laughs> so if you were going to use it as a dandruff treatment what i would do is make a cold infusion of it and just like put a bunch of it in water and just let it steep for at least overnight in the fridge and then i would just do
0: centauri cold brew
1: yeah centauri cold brew and then i'd pour it straight on your scalp and massage that's how i would do it because there's a lot of recipes for doing chamomile hair washes similar to that because it's like good for the blonde um but yeah you totally do it on your scalp you could also make like a really like Concentrated version of it, like cook it down covered, maybe for a long time, and then cool that and then add a few drops to like a spray bottle or something to like. Well, I just think,
0: you know, everyone who is not on the Patreon does not know that I'm a luscious dark brunette and I'm always looking for new ways to keep dandruff out of my hair because it really does show.
1: Yeah, it's it's a dark hair boy problem for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's great for dandruff. So let's let's talk magic, right? So traditionally, this has been considered a masculine herb. I know most of us are moving away from that, but
0: there's a reason for that.
1: But it, it's associated with the sun, fire, and the power to remove snakes, which lol. There's a lot of snake talk when you're looking at the magical properties of Centauri, which I was not expecting.
0: Oh, my Um, God. So Finally, a surprise on the herb side. I'm always like, I look at the deities. I look at the magical creatures a lot. And I'm like, this really fucked me up. But a surprise.
1: A surprise. Snakes. So the whole driving off snake things like from my research really does seem to be like the biggest like traditional use of it magically. Um I have read in a few like semi sketchy places that didn't have sources that medieval witches maybe mixed it in with their incense to improve their psychic powers and because of that it's like alleged to have been included in some flying ointment recipes so perhaps there's something to that but I'm mostly like basing my recommendations off of the like anti-snake energy, right? So I think this is a natural ally if you need to dispel negativity or get rid of like shady snake-like people in your life. Like if you're doing a cord cutting, bit a Centauri to get those snakes out of there. Also, if you're a snake hater, then I guess this is for you plant it in your garden. Allegedly it gets rid rid of them, but I just think that like for the dispelling negativity, I think that would be really clutch for this. And based on its relationship to Chiron, I'd add it to the list of herbal allies. If you're doing shadow work around your Chiron placement. So if you're doing like core wound work and, you know, perhaps even you could leave it as an offering to Chiron um, to help you incorporate your shadow self and
0: You know what might be nice? Hmm. Leaving a a little Centauri flower on the grave of the person who fucked you up the most. If you're, if you're a bit older.
1: Yes. I would do that sprinkled with a little of your urine just for good Mm. measure, Mm -hmm. because we're fucking them up. And as something that does kind of like get rid of those like angry, like kind of hurtful energies. I think this could be a good uh, friend as we come into the holidays you know, families. There's a
0: lot of snakes in the grass in people's families.
1: Oh my God. All the magnolia vipers in the South. They're so pretty and so kind, but the bite. So, you know, I think Centauri would be great. And like a sweetening jar with honey, if you're doing one of those spells. Um, but I really just like dig this idea of using it to like, using it around like Chiron core wound stuff. Like I, I didn't see that anywhere, but to me that feels like it makes a lot of sense. And I like to use herbs that way. So I can imagine like, you know, even adding it to like a bath because you can use it topically if you're doing like, cause I, you guys know, I love like a bath meditation and like bath magic. So I was just thinking if you're doing like intensive shadow work, you know, taking a ritual bath with some Centauri in it and like calling on Chiron to ask help, ask him to like help you integrate that into yourself. Like, mm. Tasty. So that's all folks. Uh, I used Wikipedia, gardeningknowhow.com, Cunninghands Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, Mountain Rose Herbs, Drugs.com, indigoherbs.co.uk, and a bunch of random Tumblr pages for this one, because there's not a lot out there about Centauri, but it was fun. So um, before we dive into like the last half of the episode, we're switching things up a little bit and we're going to be doing some of our plugs here in the middle for you guys. Ooh, plugs. So first of all, I'm really excited to announce that I am going to be hosting a live virtual class in January called your 2022 witch's garden and we're going to look through the tarot card of the year major astrological transits the sabbats lunar cycles to look at like planning out a full year of an herb garden to use in your magical practice and as a bonus anyone who's a member of our patreon that also registers you guys will get a free 30 minute follow up one-on-one with me afterwards which i think will be really great then we can like kind of dig in also look at talk your about, chart Talk about
0: your specific
1: yeah so we can get really specific help make recommendations um i think it's gonna be lots of fun hopefully if you enjoy the podcast it'll be a good way for you to get prepped because january and you, i know
0: i was gonna say if you do join the patreon you could get a tarot reading from me
1: I know. If you join the Patreon, you can get a tarot reading from Nick. You can get a bonus 30-minute one-on-one with me if you join the Patreon and then register for my class. Plus, you get all of our bonus episodes, video recordings. Usually, y'all get early access to stuff. If you're at yeah, the top I- level, level you get herbal grimoire pages every month. It's really... The Patreon is where it's at, y'all. It's yeah. going to only get better. hit us,
0: hit us up over there. Yeah. I mean... We're not gonna post pornography like certain cartoonists do to try (laughs) to pull in the Patreon followers, but.
1: You know, no. but you know, if there is interest in a Nick and Shannon themed only fans, I mean, let us know we want to give the people what they want. <laughs> uh, we haven't had any requests so far, but you know,
0: yeah, we know open. we never even got a, We never even got any of those lewd emails that we asked for I for know, my birthday we
1: specifically asked for lewd emails and didn't get them. So you guys are fucking polite. But yeah, so Patreon's where it's at patreon.com slash wands and fronds pod. And on our Patreon, there's also a link to register for the course if that's something y'all are interested in. Uh Patreon, as little as $5 a month, you guys are getting a lot of extra content. Also, it Yeah,
0: means- I mean, if you if you can see the video, you can see us, we're hanging out, we're talking.
1: Yeah. Me and Shannon,
0: we're bff BF, BF, BFFs. Uh, uh,
1: You also get much more content if you are on the Patreon because we edit a lot of, silliness out so if you like hanging out with us and want it to feel a little more like IRL the Patreon's kind of where that's at so again
0: also you get to come to the Instagram Coven meeting
1: yes which we are going to be hosting on December 23rd for the first one I know we Christmas Eve
0: Eve for all of you out there who celebrate
1: we owe you guys that are at those levels for November, but November was just way too hard for me and Nick, both like personally and professionally. So sorry, we missed the coven meeting in November, but we are going to be hosting it on December 23rd. We'll send additional details about that soon. There's um,
0: going to be more details about woo-hoo. the coven meeting soon.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, that's our little like, in like our little inter or interview
0: interview yeah because fuck y'all for for skipping the end of the episode when we do our asks
1: right because we
0: ask so nicely we're very polite we love you guys Um, we both have Virgo in our charts you should respect that and appreciate that we are not taking up Half the episode with this. And yeah. to that point, I have to start talking about the centaurs now. Yes, centaurs. Woo! So to start <laughs> with, I was very excited to get this ex- the get. Uh, I, I'm so I'm so angry. No. Uh, no. But like so, that's uh, that
1: big Aries energy, just angry at everything for no apparent reason, but also it makes sense.
0: No, but you guys. Uh, I was very excited to get this assignment this week because, as you all probably know, I am a Sagittarius moon. So getting to know a little more about centaurs is literally like my thing Uh, because I'm part centaur, (laughs) perhaps.
1: Hopefully the bottom half
0: hopefully and uh, speaking of Sagittarius in heraldry which is the designs they put on shields and flags and shit and really any visual art form uh, any centaur which can be seen to be carrying a bow and arrow can be called a Sagittarius ooh so there okay. is there is a fun fact for you
1: yeah i'm like and- that's great cocktail party like talk if you need a fun fact to pull out at a party
0: That, I mean, you know, sometimes you need one. And also for the astrology nerds among you, Sagittarius partly rules over the legs, which is why one of the top signs that someone might have a strong Sag placement is having like long equine legs, like their centaur symbol would suggest.
1: I have to say,
0: oh my God, my my mouth is so dumb right now.
1: My sister has fucking killer gams.
0: Uh, So do I. I, Okay, so I'm like.
1: Okay, also Nick really does, but I just realized like people that don't know you very well, you're like, so do I. Nick really does have excellent legs. This is
0: I, I am like five nine and my body is like half legs.
1: Yeah, he's got legs up to his like elbows it's cray cray
0: it's ridiculous it's ridiculous but before i really dive into centaurs as mythical beings i just want a bit of history about why a centaur might be called a centaur because that is one of the interesting things about them so we can definitely trace back centaur art with the the human top half and the horse bottom half going all the way back to 1000 BCE. But it's thought that the legend originated earlier than that and maybe attributed to bull hunters in Thessaly. And so this is interesting, I think, linguistically, because some of you may be wondering about the tar part in centaur. Because we know from Taurus... And the Minotaur that tar means bull, right? Yeah. So yeah. And actually, it was the Thessalonian bull hunters who were one of the first horseback riding cultures known to people in the Peloponnese, which was like the the center of ancient Greece. Mm, delicious. So centaur art may have been a symbol for their their writing skills, and mm. they were being they were so good at writing that they were seen as like one being. So, all of that to say, if you ever wondered about the tor part of centaur, uh, then there is your answer. And the original word meant something like bull killer, and actually has nothing to do with what a centaur is physically. So, with the fun fact segment out of the way, (laughs) we can really sink our teeth into the meat of centaur lore. So, how did centaurs come to be? It will come as a surprise to absolutely nobody that our half-man, half-horse friends come about due in part to Zeus's jealousy and pettiness.
1: Wait, what? I know. Surely not, no.
0: No, I know. So, Zeus was being petty, Zeus was being jealous, but Zeus was being kind, kind of, for like a minute.
1: Huh, that one is a surprise.
0: So the story goes that Ixion, the king of the Lapiths, had descended into madness and was making such bad decisions being in charge that he had to be formally exiled from his own kingdom. And for some reason, Zeus is like, sympathetic to Ixion's plight. Fuckboy's gonna fuckboy together, man. Yeah, and so he invites the poor guy up to Mount Olympus to do some feasting and have some rest, but these good intentions quickly turn sour when Zeus caught poor Ixios making eyes at Hera, and so that's really where the shit hits the fan, because... As we all know, Zeus can fuck whoever he wants, but Hera has to stay at home. Yeah. So instead of just talking it over with the guy who has done nothing at this point, except for looking.
1: Except for looking at a literal fucking goddess.
0: Yeah, like he got invited to heaven and he was checking out the queen of the goddesses.
1: Because, like, who wouldn't? Who among us would not be fucking checking out Hera?
0: Right. So he, he sets a fucking trap, though. And he gets the aid of the cloud nymph, Nepheli to take Hera's shape in cloud form. Right?
1: Okay, like you do. Yeah,
0: like you do. You're a cloud nymph. And give Ixion a good spooning. While he was sleeping. So Ixion wakes up and he sees like this cloudy he's he's in heaven and he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. We can't forget that he's fucking nuts, right? Uh so he sees like cloud hera and immediately commences to boning. Though one does have to wonder, like, how much can you could you possibly get out of fucking a cloud?
1: Yeah, I would imagine that it's like basically there's like a pillow that the cloud is on and he's really just humping the pillow.
0: (laughs) I mean, uh, (laughs) you have to wonder. It's a question we have no answer for. And so, of course, Zeus is like, ha ha, gotcha. I knew you wanted to fuck Hera and binds him to a burning wheel spinning through the sky for all eternity like any sane god king would.
1: Well, if you hump at someone who's pretending to be the queen, you're gonna end up on a burning wheel spinning throughout the heavens for all of eternity. It's like a very common colloquialism.
0: Duh. That's exactly (laughs) what would happen. But there was one more loose end to tie up. Nephali was pregnant.
1: Oh, he knocked up the cloud.
0: He knocked up the cloud. (laughs) So the baby that came from the union. Of the the poor king, the really you know he went crazy, and then Zeus was like, "Come to heaven," and, of course, yeah. But but no, so he's gone. He's strolling across the universe still, on a burning wheel. Womp womp. So the baby though was like a hunchback, or like maybe a dwarf, maybe twisted, twisted in some way. They really don't go into detail, but
1: yeah, they tend to they tend to be very scant on details of that sort in mythology,
0: right, but they felt that they would never find a place among the cruel and vain humans or the cruel and vain gods, so they sent him to the mountain of Pelion to be a hermit and frolic among the wild horses there, oh, which boy. honestly
1: sounds great, like so sign they, me up,
0: yeah. So the baby's name was Centaurus, and his permanent exile eventually led him to start breeding with the wild mares, giving birth to the centaur race as we know it. Which, for those who maybe didn't know, when we're talking about centaurs, we are talking about a creature with, again, the four legs and body of a horse, but where the horse's neck should be. And I'm pointing out where my neck is on the Patreon so you know, just that's the quality
1: reason- content you could be getting. That's
0: the quality content content you're missing. A man from the waist up, head of a man, dick of a horse. And you might be saying to yourself, you keep saying man, but surely you mean person. And fuck you, no, I don't. Uh, I think one of the more surprising things about this week's research topic was that I thought centaurs were. Depicted as a, a proper race with males and females and all that. But that was an invention of fantasy writers in our time period and not part of the original myths. So, yes, all centaurs are dudes. So all upper torso got of a man. But there was a good deal about centaurs that was open to interpretation and regional differences. So some centaurs had bull horns for instance, and that actually does go uh, back to Thessaly kind of being a callback to their bull-killing origins. And so some centaurs had the ears of a horse, though. Like, like almost like, like, uh, bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream who gets turned into a donkey.
1: I was about to say, it made me think of the like scary Pinocchio scene where all the kids get turned into jackasses.
0: Yeah, and, and, um... You know, I think that's very silly. That's a less and cute look. <laughs> I, it's not a cute look. So I prefer not to imagine them uh, with with horse ears. But I think there there is a duality to centaurs that I do find very interesting. And I think kind of goes along with the dual nature of Sagittarius placements, but also like Jupiter placements generally. Because there's there is that duality where it's like you're too much, but you're also very deep. At the same time. And you can kind of see it with the centaurs because the father of the centaurs also used his time to, or that Cint- Centaurus, who was not a centaur himself, and I, I do just kind of want to reiterate that, was using his time in exile to map out stars and constellations. And the story goes that Zeus felt bad eventually about what he did. And so when Centaurus, the father of all the centaurs, uh, died, he got to, like, do a star selfie and create the Centaurus constellation, which we do still recognize today in the Northern Hemisphere. Although, I think it's funny that Centaurus was not a centaur, but the constellation is. So, you know, you got to think about that for just a second. But so we've got an undercurrent of, like, being into natural science and philosophy, as far as like mapping the stars and stuff. And we also see this aspect with Chiron, Mm
1: -hmm. who
0: taught some of the great heroes in Greek mythology, like Heracles, and who was regarded as one of the wisest beings in the realms. And he is even credited with teaching Asclepius, the god of medicine, Everything he knew about healing herbs and potion making, like Chiron knew about shit. But
1: yeah, he's a big deal. I'll add a link in the description to the episode where we cover Chiron. If you want to go back and listen to us, get into him a little bit more.
0: But like Chiron was the special case being a child of Cronus and like kind of like a step between a centaur and a deity in his own right.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, So like Chiron was not like the traditional centaur. And he actually had the full body of a man though. So it's two legs, two arms, sometimes front facing genitalia. And only the back legs of a horse where his butt should have been.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He's an interesting, the, you should like, if you want to get a giggle, like Google depictions of Chiron because some of them are quite silly
0: and uh, so even though he was like welcome among the centaurs Chiron was not a centaur in truth as far as like the the Ixion lineage right and but and he was certainly the only immortal centaur so like that fact with his wisdom eventually made him like a shoe in to be the centaur king supposedly in some legends but we're going to talk about that a little more later on so centaurs is a whole group though we're like not looked on in such a kind light as wise old chiron so they were like devotees of dionysus the god of wine and like these wild woodland parties and you know they formed part of his cohort as the wild spontaneous parties he would throw in the wilderness, uh, along with the fawns and the wood nymphs. So like if Dionysus threw a party, the wood nymphs would show up and the fawns would show up and the centaurs would show up. Uh, So like the hard partying reputation also came along with a lot of the other, I think, negative, like Sagittarius qualities, which I'm circling back around into Sagittarius so much, but like, they said they were very impulsive to the point of being led by instinct, like wild animals, and they were quick to violence, being a race of all men. They did some sketchy shit to keep the race of centaurs going, which yeah. actually some rapey and, shit. Very rapey shit. But, and this is my only rabbit trailing moment in this segment, but I'm a moon, and I thought it was worth mentioning that I did do the research for this episode and I did go on Pornhub at Xtube and watch centaur porn. So you all don't have to. Um, Unless you
1: want to. We're not here to yuck your yum.
0: No, absolutely (laughs) not. But they really don't ever cover the fact that if there were centaur ladies and centaur dudes that coexisted, how weird that would be for whoever was on top or really just how weird that would be for Period. like the the human part of the body either f- flopping around in the air or <laughs> carrying the weight of the rest of the horse body on the ground um
1: <laughs> the mechanics seem complicated
0: the mechanics do seem complicated and so you know Check it out if you want to. But my main question, though, is how does a race of all men keep itself going? And the answer is that if a centaur fucked either a human lady or a lady horse, the offspring would somehow still be full-blown centaur.
1: Magic, Nicholas. Not somehow. Magic.
0: I know. I'm just saying. It's like that's... uh, So this obviously worked better logistically with a lady horse. Yeah. But since centaurs have the head and presumably the mind of a human, that is bestiality. And also, human ladies were seen as better companies. So there you have it, folks, centaur breeding in a nutshell.
1: Oh, man. All of the things I didn't know, I didn't know. And Uh, I'm not sure I wanted to, but now I do.
0: But actually, speaking of centaurs as artistic subjects, we would be remiss if we didn't at least touch upon the centaurimaki. To the Greeks, this was the centaur story. So it was so much so, the centaur story, that there was a huge mosaic depicting the scene at Zeus's temple at Olympia. So you'll remember that the Mad King Ixion was the grandfather to all the centaurs because he fucked the Cloud Hera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Centaurus then fucked a horse, and then centaurs were made. Yeah. So Ixion had a human son, too. Pyrrhus stepped into his father's role in his absence. They, you know, very young, but eventually got there. Remember that Ixion is eternally spinning on a wheel of fire through the universe. Not Uh, having
1: a great time.
0: And so even their though there was chaos in it's like a, a Thessaly it's a little border kingdom to Italy or not Italy to Greece at this time and so he eventually gets a good handle on things he's doing fine as king you know he's grown up with a regent and he's learned and now it's his wedding right he's picked the beautiful Hippodamia and
1: Hippodamia sounds like a really cool like musician
0: yeah and so Pirithus has generally generously invited his Centaur cousins to oh, come join the festivities.
1: He invited that side of the family.
0: Yeah. Well, because they're they're like a border kingdom. And I think that's like like Thessaly and like Titus and like all these places where these people are living. It's like uh on the border of what was Greece. So so we're doing the centaur monkey. and Pyrethus has invited his centaur cousins to join the festivities. But this is really where things go south because the Dionysus-loving centaurs get absolutely trashed. And in some versions of this myth, the wine was actually Dionysian wine, right? Oh. Which is only meant for special occasions. But of course, we have a king getting married. Yeah. Right? And his centaur cousins have shown up. So so maybe that is a special edification.
1: Mayhaps.
0: But the centaurs get trashed. And they try to rape Hippodamia at her own wedding. Which really ruins the party vibe. And this leads to an epic battle with all of the, uh, you know, all of these... Thessaly people and Pirithes's people—they flee in the night because the centaurs are uncontrollable uh, because they're very tribal. So, like, even yeah. though it was just a few no-gooders who really were like at the party, once they were in danger, everyone else joined the fray. So they yeah. were up against like a big army of centaurs, and it's his cousins because they—they they were also the grandchildren of the last king of this kingdom. Yeah. They really did. They felt like they had a right to it yeah. as well. So it's like it popped off at the wedding. Like he invited them as, as a sign of good faith, but then they drank Dionysus' wine. And, you know, the in Vino Veritas, they spilled their bad blood and they spilled so much bad blood actually that, most of the centaurs were dead by the end.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Most of the Thessalonians were dead by the end, but, you know. No one got out alive. No one got out alive. And, but I I, I do think, you know, it, it should be mentioned that Heracles comes back and kills even more centaurs, and it's one of the bloodiest battles in Greek mythology. Just... As far as the body count, like the people, yeah. the individual people listed and centaurs, individual people and centaurs listed in the Centaurimaki is it's high. Oof, uh, it's it's a lot. And so you know, Lapith goes back to being solely ruled by humans, and they kind of see it as a struggle between civilization and barbarism. Which the centaur supposedly also represents the struggle between civilization and barbarism and how they gain civilization through their barbarism. Like they can know about the stars because they live up in the forests and on the mountains and can see them, but they don't know about people. But it's that, it's that weird Jupiterian dualism, which seems so fitting. With when we're talking about Sagittarius, yeah, Uh, and centaurs are weird. So you guys, uh, let me know if you're into centaur porn on the Instagram, and we're gonna let Shannon talk about Thor.
1: Yeah, so thank you for covering centaurs, but Thor. So Thor is a big one, right? Like, like man, we've done over. No, we really, we
0: we did. We've done. We did Freya. Before we did Thor, unless I'm very much mistaken.
1: Yeah, no, I do feel like we've like danced around him and like talked about him a little bit in previous deity profiles. So we haven't been totally Thorless. but Thor is a deity that's like common to all early Germanic people. So he really had like a lot of appeal. Like he got around, people love Thor. So let's talk about him, right? Thor, the name comes from the word for thunder and he brings it. For show, he is pretty much like the pinnacle of masculine virility, and he's definitely considered like the fiercest of all of the Norse deities. And he has his like really cool hammer, Mjolnir. And since he loved to bang and knock ladies up, he's also super tied to fertility. Uh, Thor is actually wait mo-
0: a deity represented by a hammer likes to bang.
1: I know it's a little on the head, right? It's, it's,
0: it's just too it's it's almost too much.
1: It's like hitting the hitting the nail on the head. So <laughs> Thor though interestingly is most commonly depicted as a red-bearded, red-haired, super school, like middle-aged dude. So let's talk lineage. Uh, Thor is the son of Othin, uh the chief of the Aesir tribe of deities and the highest of the gods. Um, his mother is referred to as either Yord, which literally is like Earth, Hladen or Fjorgin, but she's always identified as a giant, which actually makes Thor half Jotun, like half giant, which is really interesting because he has a lot of disdain for giants in many of his stories.
0: Um, mm, are we sensing yeah. a bit of internalized... Something Angst
1: and strife, some self loathing, perhaps. Mm. So, thanks to Odin, though, he also has like a lot of pretty prominent half brothers, including Balder, Vali, and Vidar. We're actually going to talk about Balder in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned. Norse mythology I think interestingly actually doesn't get into like the childhoods of its main deities so we don't know much about like baby Thor. He really like emerges in so- in stories as like a full-fledged god with like all of his powers. Like there's not really a warm up. You're not There needs a- to
0: be like a muppet babies version a of babies. Norse mythology. <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> so he uh <laughs> He also married Sif, who is a golden haired goddess. She is associated with faith, family, and fertility. Uh, The whole faith and family thing is really funny, considering how much Thor liked to bang. Together, they had a daughter named Thrudir. Sorry, I'm really trying. Who may have become a Valkyrie, which is super dope. Yeah, Thrudir is like, there's a really interesting YouTube video on this, like, it's called like Norse religion and mythologies or something like that it's like a youtube channel and i listened to a long thing about her and it was actually really interesting i'm like we might just have to do her at some point
0: you know we should do that we should do that on the patreon dude though like like something that's not magical but historical let us know if you'd be interested in that
1: yeah because we're history nerds we Um,
0: are history nerds and we read so much random fucking history when we're doing these segments we really honestly
1: thor also had a lot of other kids though because he liked to bang 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 and a bang but we're not (laughs) here all night so um we're (laughs) we're not gonna tell all of the thor stories again because like there could be an entire podcast just about random thor stories because he has like there's a lot of escapades and like shenanigans that he gets up to he battled monsters he journeyed to distant lands he had his adventure time and he also did a bit of cross-dressing and that last part is my fave so we're going to talk about
0: that story oh um, my god thor is a non-binary Thween.
1: <laughs> he is not, but Loki made it happen. So <laughs> in the poetic Edda, uh, Thor wakes up one morning to find Mjolnir missing big whoopsie do right? So he goes to the other gods to ask for help, and very kindly they all agreed. So Loki borrows Freya's falcon cloak and flies off to look for it, right? And eventually he does find the hammer in the possession of frim who is the king of the Jotnar, a giant. So. Thrym right. Aggr-
0: Big as fuck.
1: Big as fuck. Thrym agrees to give Mjolnir back if he can have Freya's hand in marriage. But the gods, they weren't
0: stoked on this
1: idea. You get the sense that there's a lot of like anti-giant sentiment.
0: In- I, I, I think it's also I think it's fair to note that Freya was like the Norse Venus. Yeah. she w- She was beautiful.
1: And wonderful, it's true. and she
0: she represented the harvest.
1: Okay, it's true, but we also are going to have to talk about what happens to all the giants <laughs> after this shenanigans. So
0: they wanted too
1: much. The gods weren't stoked, right? So they get up to some antics. So they have decided that the best way to get through this whole ordeal, so Thor can get Mjolnir back, is to disguise Thor as Freya and Loki as Freya's servant. Thor was like, oh no, I'm a man's man. I don't want to be like anti-masculine. But Loki was like, yeah, dude, this is gonna be fucking sick. And he persuaded Thor to go along with the plan. So they deck Thor out in like jewels and a beautiful gown and like Freya's iconic magical necklace. And they top it all off with a bridal veil. And I like to imagine Thor like Hello Thrame, you know, like <laughs> doing like a silly
0: voice. No, um, I it, and it would be so ridiculous because you have to think like a goddess basking is this floor. It would be like, <laughs> hello, <laughs> oh. it exactly. sounds like Julia Child. <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. Um so once Thor is officially the most beautiful bride in all of the oh, land Oh, I'm a beautiful bride. They all take off to the wedding and arrive at Thrym's hall. And he was like pumped, right? Like this giant, this king of the giants thinks he's marrying fucking Freya. What a day. So he throws like a hell of a party. There's like food and booze galore. And while he's dressed up as the beautiful, elegant Venusian Freya, Thor ate an entire ox, ate salmon, and drank three whole casks of mead, which is very specifically listed out in the Poetic Edda. Like,
0: They're like, this is how much?
1: This is how much? A fucking lot. So Thrun was like, yeah, that's a bit odd but he was drunk and horny by that point. So he like stole in under the veil for a kiss and he got spooked. He was like, there was a fire in her eyes. Like what's happening? Like totally freaked out. <laughs> like I imagined him being like <laughs> drunk, confused. Right. When you're just like, so drunk, you're like, am I seeing things? So Loki still disguised as Freya's servant, like rushes into smooth things. Probably over.
0: doing a much better job than Thor
1: of course of course. so Loki's like oh no don't worry Freya just hasn't slept in over a week because she was so excited <laughs> to get here and to marry you so you know it's fine and that seemed to settle that like Thrym is not actually asking a lot of follow-up questions so Thrym's sister calls for the ceremony to begin and he grabs Mjolnir and like puts it in Freya's lap to like hold up his end of the bargain right so When that happened, Thor, like, rips off the veil, raises up, and murders the entire wedding party, including Thrym's sister. So.
0: Beautiful story. Beautiful wedding. I
1: know. What a beautiful wedding. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) I've been listening to too much Panic at the Disco lately. It is interesting to note, though, like, like I said, he's half giant, but, like, Thor really, 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 really... Hates the giants and kills a lot of them throughout his stories. So now that we covered like that delightful little caper, uh, which will sadly most likely never make it into a Marvel script, even though I would love to see Chris Hemsworth disguised as Freya. What if you want to work with Thor magically? Of course, he's known for his connections to fertility and virility, so those are pretty obvious areas. You could ask for his aid. You want to get knocked up. You want to do some knocking up. You know. These are things that he knows about <laughs> because he's so fucking powerful though. Like uh, I've seen a lot of people that talk about like calling on him just to like imbue you with a sense of that, like power and badassery. Uh, not surprisingly, if you wanted to make some offerings, mead, salmon, ox, stew, food, lots of food, food and beer. Those are going to get you some brownie folks, uh, some brownie points folks I've also seen a lot of people recommending like if you want to work with more regularly like either creating or purchasing a ritual hammer which seems super legit and cool like instead of a wand channel your energy with a hammer what anything
0: with that's like- the sexiest thing I've ever heard oh yeah on this podcast
1: yeah Oh, I know. Is
0: to make a ritual hammer.
1: And bang, bang, bang it it bang No,
0: I, I'm like, I'm going to do that.
1: I love it. I really <laughs> do love it. No, I thought it was a really cool idea. Anything with lightning symbols or even like rain would be great on your altar. Can I put lightning
0: symbols on my hammer?
1: If you don't, you're fired. <laughs> uh, also, water itself. If you want to have water out on your altar. Also, runes fucking working with runes. If you want to get into like Norse deities, get you some Futhark, Elder Futhark runes, get into that. A lot of stuff though that I've read from people who work with him seems to suggest that he's super particular about who he works with. So he might not respond as quickly or as readily as other deities. But if you want to put your warrior heart to the test, I think you should go for it. Apparently some folks also say that the story that I just told about him cross-dressing really pisses him off as well, but I enjoyed it. And I hope that if he is listening to this podcast, he forgives me. Hey boy. Hey, put a little
0: Polly pocket dress out.
1: No. Oh my God. I feel like then you're going to get struck by lightning. (laughs) Um, So also for people that are interested in learning more Morgan Domler has wrote a book about Thor. And I haven't read that one in particular, but I have really loved her books on fairy witchcraft that I've read. So I'd recommend checking it out if you are interested in working with him. So today I use Britannica, mythopedia.com, Wikipedia. I also listen to a lot of like metal to try and get some of the pronunciations that I couldn't <laughs> find on YouTube. So that was a rabbit hole. I got into a Scandinavian metal rabbit hole. There's a lot of songs about Thor. So it was fun. So anyway, that's Thor. Again, I like kind of kept it really light and simple because we could be here for hours.
0: Well, we've already, this is uh this has been a long one.
1: Oh my god, no, we need to stop doing this. So
0: <laughs>
1: today I have a card for Aries me
0: i'm an aries no way
1: and i shit you not when i was shuffling like i got the number it was one i like pulled up the random number generator and it defaults to one to ten and it was at one and so i like went one to 12 and clicked it again and then it also landed on one and i was Mm. like no man this is for you and then i was shuffling my deck and i shit you not the eight of fire jumped out while i was shuffling it's getting hot in here tonight, folks.
0: It's getting hot in here. So we did, so we did a Sagittarius-themed episode. This this is all you get, Sagittarius, by the way. And then now we've got the Eight of Fire. What, the eight what of is that, Fire. What the fuck does that mean for me?
1: So in my deck, the eights are represented by herbs whose roots are used for medicine. Uh, a little hint, this card is represented by ginger, yum Uh, and this card really does have nick energy because like on the patreon y'all can see it but for those of you who can't it shows a kitchen with pots and pans on every burner of the stove a saute pan with a flame rising out of it there's like ginger on the cutting board along with like limes and onion and there's like shelves full of spices and cooking goodies so this card is telling me that you are having a moment that feels a bit like this kitchen, like you're being pulled in every direction at once. Uh, there's a lot of change afoot and like inspiration is coming from all over the place, but the message here is pretty clear. Like you can handle the heat focus movement is the key here because now's not the time to pause and consider Like if you don't move with the change, you're going to get overwhelmed. So you need to like lean into that area in nature, like dance like the flames, really just kind of like take advantage of this momentum, like enjoy it, enjoy the busyness, just go with it. Because if you stop and ponder and like second guess yourself, that's when you're going to literally like burn up. So that's the message. It seems like a lot of shit's crazy right now, but you really need to just like go with it and enjoy (laughs) it.
0: (laughs) No, literally, like we're not gonna talk about my work situation right now, but yeah, yeah. Well, but also that just literally, I like literally pull uh, hold the card up again for the Patreon people, please. I I work there. I work in, <laughs> I work in this restaurant this on restaurant. the card, like. My I, I mean, there's honestly, even a little tea kettle for Nick. No, I'm like literally like my little cup of spoons and a little stovetop, like my little. No, you guys.
1: That's Nick's card.
0: Hi, no, so but it, but but literally going with it is my only option right now.
1: Yeah, you just got to keep it. So going. it's for you. So if you want to work with ginger specifically, especially because it seems like you need it right now, um, obviously you can use lots of spicy ginger in your food, or you could make a ginger elixir and start taking it uh, on the daily to stoke the flames of inspiration. Or you can speed up a desired outcome by adding ginger to a honey
0: jar spell. Also, for everyone who feels like you might fail your midterms or whatever time of year this is if you put some wine out in the forest you can maybe lure a centaur teacher
1: yeah at the very least you'll make the fae happy
0: so <laughs> yeah the fate the Fey will enjoy that as well but
1: no losers here but that's that's all she wrote folks so we've already talked about the we already
0: talked about the shit and the patreon
1: so. but we would love for you guys to rate review subscribe If you're listening to this on your phone, something that would be really awesome, screenshot it Mm. and post it on your Instagram. Tag us. We'll reshare, but we would love to know if you're listening. Leaving us reviews, written reviews, uh, five stars preferably. But if you have lewd remarks and like negative comments, feel free to yeah. add those too. Um, hey, let us
0: know what your favorite centaur porn was and what your least favorite centaur porn was. Yes. Yeah.
1: If we could get a, a really thorough ranking, probably like <laughs> between one and a hundred of centaur porn, <laughs> you can send that to us uh, through Instagram Messenger, which is at Wands and Franz Pod on Instagram, or you can email us at Wands and Pod at gmail.com. To, so, I guess, Nick, to all of those centaur porn loving bitches, what do <laughs> we all say? you
0: To all of you four legs, two arms having centaur bitches, blessed be <laughs> you horse bitches.
1: Blessed be horse bitches. Goodbye.
0: And now I get why you corporate bitches love Sunday Funday. Like, I really do feel refreshed today.